so the text that I am teaching from is from James. And I, Dave, when he asked me to teach, I like wouldn't commit to like picking any scripture. So and he was like, well, what are you teaching in middle school class? And we were going through James. So and he said, well, why don't you teach from James, which I thought was a pretty good idea. Um, so that's where we're in tonight. Um, and we are going to be actually going through the last two verses of the book. So we'll be beginning at the end. Um, so if you will open up your Bibles, we'll be in James 5, starting in verse 19. He writes this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So before we get into these two verses, um, we have to understand what James has spent the whole rest of the book writing. Uh, so um, he's writing this letter as a leader uh, in the Jerusalem church to these other churches that are struggling with disunity in various areas. And we don't know like the exact circumstances of these churches, um, but we can kind of infer from what James has written uh, in this letter kind of what the trials that they are going through. So we know that they, that they have divisions in their church. Um, it seems like for economic reasons. So he talks a lot about the rich and the poor within the body. Um, he talks about the use of their tongue in the body. It seems to be causing disunity as well. And uh, there seems to be quarreling and just general ungodly living in their church churches. So as with many of the other New Testament letters, uh, he includes a lot about like very clear instructions of what it looks like to walk faithfully with the Lord and then what it looks like to walk in sin. Uh, and so that's, that's what most of the book is about up to this point. So when he brings up in verse 19 about those who wander from the truth, by this point, after we've read the rest of the letter, we have a pretty good understanding of what he means by someone who's wandering from the truth. And then when he, when he uses the term the truth, uh, and most likely he's just referring to the gospel. Um, and this is because in James 1.18, um, he mentions the truth, the word of truth, bringing salvation to people. And we know that the word of truth that brings salvation is the gospel. So when he says wandering from the truth, he's talking about people who are wandering away from the gospel and from Christ. Uh, and keep in mind that he mentions that they're wandering from the truth. So um, <clears throat> they, it's not just people who are unaware of the truth, but it's people who were in some way, shape, or form near or around the truth and are now leaving it towards something else. So although there's probably applications for this text when we talk about reaching the lost in general, I really think what James is talking about here is more so people who are in the body who are not living for Christ anymore. Um, and Jesus even mentions in the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
So from this, we know even from Jesus himself that not all who, came, who claim to be Christians uh, may necessarily be Christians. Uh, and as we've mentioned a lot going through 1 John is that, is that the way you live reveals what you actually believe. So we can say what we believe all we want, but the way we live reveals what our actual convictions are. So the question that I think James is sort of posing as he addresses the church is he's asking these followers if they're living for sin or if they're living for Christ. Because we know that you cannot serve two masters. Um, and as I was preparing this, I was like, I thought it was really neat how closely it seemed to fall in line with what we've been going through in 1 John. So I do want to read a few verses from 1 John that I feel like are pretty, pretty relevant. This is from 1 John 3. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the question is brought up is, are there, are there people in these churches that might not actually be Christians? And I don't think James is explicitly saying this outright, but he is identifying the fact that people are practicing unrighteousness in the church and um, that those who, who practice unrighteousness or practice sin can have no confidence that they belong to Christ. So I think it's just a, a blunt uh, wake-up call to the believers and maybe not believers in the churches that he's writing to. And I think his warning to these churches is especially uh, relevant to us in the American Christian context because um, the way that we see sin addressed in the New Testament is often very stern, and of course it's out of love, but the writers in the New Testament are very clear about what it looks like to be faithful and what it looks like to walk in sin. And they hold a very high standard for the believers that they write to because they don't want the believers in these churches just to look like everyone else in the, word, or in the world. So they make it very clear what does someone who look like Christ, how should they live their life, what are the things that they should be doing. Um, and so when we see specific sins mentioned in the Bible, it's always good to make sure we, we ask ourselves, are these things that we might be characterized or known for? Um, and so uh, James, James, when he writes this letter, he's not just exclusively talking about like the big sins that we think about. You know, most people haven't murdered and a lot of people don't commit adultery, but the sins that James specifically mentions in this uh, book, I've noticed, are like more subtle, more subtle sins that we might not realize at first, which means I think they're probably a lot more common or maybe more common than we realize. Uh, so he, he mentions things like the temptation of riches, uh, and he talks about how riches perish and they're temporary, yet they still pull at our hearts and draw us away from Christ. Uh, he talks about uh, that there's some who are hearers only and not doers of the word. So this might be people who are in Christian environments a lot, 
yet their lives might not actually be changed and formed by the word. Uh, he, he mentions par- partiality as a section about partiality, and specifically he's talking about partiality between rich and poor, um, but I think partiality is one that we can just apply generally also. Um, when we might favor a specific person or group of people for uh, superficial reasons. Uh, he, he addresses covetousness, worldliness, and pride. And I think probably the most convicting one, at least for me, that he mentions is, is when he uh, talks about uh, the tongue. So I'm going to read from James 3, 5 through 10. This is what he says about, about the tongue. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. I think oftentimes we use our words and we create sparks, but we never actually realize the the danger of the fires we might be starting when we do that. Um, But all the things that James mentions are, are real dangers to our souls. So it's, it's with this lens of, of all these things that James mentions that now we get to verse, verses 19 and 20 and we can understand them better. Um, so I'll read, read those verses again just so we have it fresh in our minds. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so it's important to bring all this up going into these verses because, like I said before, now we know what James is talking about when he talks about those who are wandering from the truth because he's just gone through almost five whole chapters describing what that might look like with the members of their churches. Um, and I think that naturally when we read verses like this, the tendency, at least for me, is to quickly, when I see myself in those verses, I put myself in like the shoes of the hero. So like I read that verse and I think of like, okay, what should I do to bring others back from wandering? But I think it's more important, first off, to make sure that we aren't, aren't maybe wandering also. Because as we said, everything that James has mentioned so far are things that can be very subtle in our lives that we might not notice right off. So if we go through all these things that James lists in the earlier chapters, uh, then, we can, then we can make sure that we might not be characterized or known for these things. So we can ask ourselves, if we, am I someone who, might, who is known for having a loose tongue and gossiping or maybe slandering others? Am I someone who shows partiality in the body? When people think of me, do they... Is, is my arrogance something that comes to mind? Do I find myself frequently quarreling with others? Because if I make a practice of these things, then I might not realize it originally, but I might actually be wandering from the truth. So 
after we examine ourselves, it's then that we can actually look outward to the body to make sure that the body is healthy. So after we examine ourselves, we look to one another. And if we know a brother or sister who seems to be persistent in their sin, it's our duty and obligation as members of the body to address that and to try and call them back to the truth. I think it's our responsibility. So if we, if we see a brother or sister and we are aware that they are wandering from the truth and we ignore it, I think that that's just that's sinful and unloving of us. Um, so we need to be diligent in going out to seek those who, are, who may be wandering. Um, and when Jesus talks about being sinned against, the first thing he's, he recommends to do is to go talk to that brother or sister. Uh, and, and he says in Matthew 18 that the reason you do this is because if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And so the goal of pursuing those who are, stray, who are straying from the truth isn't to call them out and to make them feel bad for, the, for their sin necessarily, but the goal of doing that is actually restoration in Christ. Um, but if you're, if you're anything like me, my response to brothers or sisters in sin can often be cold and judgmental. And it's often a point where the sin of the tongue can creep in and create a fire especially if it's something that offends me personally. But I'm so thankful that God is not like I am because all have sinned against God, myself included. And countless times, I and everyone in this room have made countless offenses towards God, and yet his response to me and to everyone in this room might not be like our responses to each other when we're sinned against. And because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath. But God is not cold to us. Instead, the wrath that I deserve was taken when God in Christ Jesus gave himself up for all who have sinned. And we know that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Christ's mission was to save his people and to reconcile them to himself. And when we were wandering, he called us to himself by his grace and his love for us. And we can rejoice in that. And even more, how can we receive this reconciliation from Christ and not want to extend it to others? He invites us in to be a part of the work of that work in the lives of other people. And let's look at verse 20 again. It says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And we know that this is not to say that uh, he or she may be saved again because we know that uh, God always completes the work of salvation that he begins in believers. But we do know that there is no assurance for those who are practicing 
and living in sin. And as James even says earlier in this book, sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So when someone repents and turns from their sin to Christ, it is there that their confidence in salvation is found. And God wants us to be a part of this mission of reconciliation. And I hope that we don't see this as a burdensome task. Confronting sin, especially in other people's lives, can be uh, uncomfortable and awkward and, and even painful. But it's a beautiful work that God has called us to for one another. And it's difficult to see outside of the immediate circumstances of confronting someone in sin. But on the larger scale, what's happening when a sinner repents and turns back to Christ? He is restored in Christ. And it is amazing that God would allow us to serve him and each other in this way. So just briefly, I will say, we need to ask the question, what does it look like to try and bring back those who are wandering from the truth? And just, and just briefly, I think that reaching out and checking in on others is, is probably the most easy and practical way to do that. And I also think that we need to be willing to be honest about what we're struggling with with other people in the church as well. But when I was talking about it with, with Witt, he made a very good point to me that, that you can't do those things well if you don't have a relationship with each other. And so I think, I think you need to have a relationship with those in your body so that way we can be able to tell each other in love when we see each other wandering from the truth. And then that way when we feel our hearts being pulled from the truth, we can also seek each other out to be encouraged and drawn back to the Lord. So in closing, I think that the encouragement from these verses is this that we should strive to be gospel-minded toward those who may begin to stray because under the wrong set of circumstances, we are all susceptible to fall. And let us love one another well so that we can have confidence that we are part of a body that will go to great lengths to call one another back to the truth and to restore one another as Christ went to great lengths to restore us. Let's pray.